Hi, Dave Emery here. This is, for the record, program number 1201. The narco-fascism of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang, part 8. This is being recorded on August 27th of the year 2021. Uh, let me begin by reminding you of three links at the top of each program description and each food for thought uh, uh, post. Uh, one link will enable you to subscribe to the comments being made by expert listeners, mostly our brilliant contributing editor Terrafractal, some by others. Another link will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made by sister station WFMU. So if, as is increasingly the case in our society, podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, then there is a link at the top of the page uh, of each program description and each Food for Thought post for you to subscribe to the WFMU podcast of For the Record. And last but not least, there is also a link... For, that will enable you to obtain the 32 gigabyte flash drive of all of my life's work through for the record 1156 and a small, uh, wonderful library of old anti-fascist books on easy to download, uh, PDF files. Uh, I get no money whatsoever from that. And again, there is a link at the top of each program description and each Food for Thought post that will enable you to subscribe. Uh, no, that will enable you to obtain the 32 gigabyte flash drive. And I emphatically encourage people to get that flash drive. I don't, the reason I'm doing the long series I'm doing about China and the virus, <laughs> uh, the virus did, was created in a laboratory. It didn't, quote, escape, unquote, from any place, either the U.S. or China, and it was not a Chinese laboratory in which it was made. Uh, World War III basically is, in effect, already underway, and I think there is going to be a World War III shooting war, and I think basically we are at the apotheosis of our civilization. I don't think we are going to make it as a species, and at the very least, you will become a, by getting the flash drive, you will become a repository of the information uh, that has led to our demise, and uh, maybe uh, future generations of your seed can uh, refer to that flash drive and uh, and will be able to figure out why it is that they're living in a rusted-out Chevy sport van and dying at the age of 25 from radiation poisoning. Anyway, onward and <laughs> not necessarily upward. Uh, we are once again going to be continuing with our discussion of the narco-fascist regime of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang and related topics because it is from this that not only did the present-day government of China evolve, but to an enormous extent the present-day government of the U.S. evolved from that as well. We will be talking more about the China lobby, uh, the Sony family, their investments, and so forth. We, we will get into that uh, as this more as the series uh, moves on. Uh, we concluded our last program with discussion. Well, let, let me first of all, we are once again going to be picking up uh, 
from a remarkable book. Uh, it is called The Sung Dynasty, S-L-O-N-G, by Sperling Seagrave, published in hardcover by Harper and Rowe. There is also a softcover edition, copyright by Sperling Seagrave. Sadly, the book is out of print, however, uh, due to the, through the tropical river or other used book functions, you can get the book still, and I emphatically, most emphatically, encourage listeners to get this wonderful, consummately important book. Again, after it was published, the Kuomintang regime in Taiwan sent a hit team to kill Sterling and his wife Peggy, who assisted with the publication of the volume. A high-ranking CIA official told them, I would take this very seriously if I was, were you, and they did. They decamped to a sailboat, lived on the sailboat for years, Finally, they settled in South France, and finally, uh, after the publication of the Spanish-language edition of Gold Warriors, which we will also be using in this series, uh, Sperling Seagrave narrowly escaped a serious attempt on his life, and uh, Peggy ultimately died of cancer. Sterling Seagrave passed away in 2017, whether Peggy Seagrave's cancer was a natural cancer or was an induced cancer or an intelligence Services can do that remains to be seen. Now, we closed our last program with a discussion of the Xi'an incident or Cyan incident. My Chinese pronunciation is rotten, so it's, it's spelled capital S-I-A-N. It is at that place where uh, the young marshal, as he was called, uh, that was General uh, Xu, uh, Chang Shu Liang, uh, he and a General Yang uh, held Chiang Kai-shek captive till he agreed to uh, form a national salvation uh, coalition in which instead of husbanding all of his military resources to fight the Chinese communists, uh, there would be a united military front between the communist Chinese and the Kuomintang to fight the Japanese invasion. Uh, this was being pushed for by Ching Ling Sung, uh, who uh, was Madame Sun Yat-sen. She married Sun Yat-sen, the leader of the Chinese Revolution in 1911. There was only a split in the Kuomintang, one half of which was leftist and associated with Moscow. The other half was right-wing anti-communist and associated uh, in a fundamental way with the criminal drug-smuggling green gang of Shanghai. It was with that fascist, narco-fascist uh, faction that Chiang Kai-shek was allied, and they ultimately prevailed. Uh, after being kidnapped and held prisoner, finally, uh, Chiang Kai-shek agreed to the coalition. Uh, he then turned on both the young marshal and General Yang, and as we will see, he ultimately reneged on uh, the uh, united front that was to be formed between the Kuomintang and uh, Mao Zedong's Chinese Communist Party to fight the Japanese invaders. And it was the opinion of T.V. Sung and many others that ultimately, uh, if the uh, Kuomintang did not join with the Chinese Communists to fight the Japanese invaders, this would drive the, Japanese, the Chinese people rather into the arms of the Chinese Communists. And that is ultimately what happened. And T.V. Sung, as we have seen and will continue to see, was anything but a leftist. He was uh, basically a fascist oligarch himself. However, he was a realist. He also 
was at one point the richest man in the world, and the Sung family, we will get into, if not in this program, in our next program, they ruled the roost in uh, Chiang Kai-shek's Kuomintang narco-fascist government. Uh, concluding uh, and overlapping with where we left off, uh, the young marshal, again, kidnapped Chiang Kai-shek, held him prisoner with General Yang until he agreed to the uh, coalition, and uh, then the young marshal himself assumed all responsibility for that. He was eventually imprisoned and uh, was addicted to heroin by Tai Li, uh, him, the, the Himmler of China, Chiang Kai-shek's, secret uh, political, no, he, he was the military secret police chief, and uh, again, one of the many things that he did, exemplifying the narco-fascism of Chiang Kai-shek's regime, he would addict inmates in his concentration camps to heroin. Overlapping our discussion from the last program, the young marshal gallantly accepted the all blame for the Siam incident, allowing Chiang to wash his hands in public and wet them on him. Interestingly, the young marshal was put up at T.B. Sung's home in Nanking. By the way, T.B. Sung was uh, strongly allied with the young marshal because he saw the young marshal as a vehicle for effecting the sort of military alliance with the Chinese communists that he felt, T.B. Sung felt, was essential to save the country from communism. Uh, he felt that Chiang Kai-shek, if he continued to fight the Chinese communists and uh, not the Japanese, as we have seen and will continue to see, he actually collaborated with the Japanese. Uh, T.B. Sung was of the opinion correctly that would drive the Chinese people into the arms of the Chinese communists. So in answer to the battle cry of the China lobby and the McCarthyites, who lost China? It was the anti-communists. It was the fascists. It was the narco-fascist regime of Chiang Kai-shek that literally lost China. It drove the Chinese people into the arms of the communists, as predicted by T.V. Sung and many, many others. More about that later. I'll be giving again. The young marshal gallantly accepted the all-blame for the Xi'an incident, allowing Chiang to wash his hands in public and wipe them on him. Interestingly, he was put up at T.B. Sung's home in Nanking. He had done China a historic service by bringing about the long-sought United Front, whatever its later failings. In the course of the, of the Xi'an incident, he had become more intimately acquainted with Chiang than anyone else in China outside of the Sung's and Big Ear too, to Yu Sheng. He had also become unusually close to T.B. Sung and Mei Leng Sung. Uh, that was the sister of T.B. Sung, and uh, she became Madame Chiang Kai-shek. But Chiang Kai-shek never forgave him for the humiliation or for wrecking his dream of crushing the communists. This event continued to haunt the nationalists for decades, and they point to the Xi'an incident as the beginning of the communist victory. It also must have haunted Chang that this young Manchurian general showed so many qualities of leadership that might displace him in time. So instead of letting Chang, instead of letting him go, Chang placed the young marshal under house arrest and turned the key over to Tai Li. In his Good Friday message to China that spring of 1937, Chang referred to the Xi'an incident and said piously, 
remembering that Christ enjoined us to forgive those who sin against us until 70 times 7, and upon their repentance I felt they should be allowed to start life anew, unquote. Uh, this was complete hypocrisy on Chang's part. He did no such thing. And as we have seen and as we will continue to see, it was Chang and Big Eared Two's, uh, aka Two Yu Chang's conversion to Christianity that helped to sell them to the U.S. and to Henry Luce in particular. Henry Luce himself, the son of uh, American missionaries in China, uh, was perhaps the most powerful journalistic linchpin of the China lobby, and he exemplified the position of uh, the U.S. toward China, which was the missionary position, pun intended. Continuing now from the Sung Dynasty by Sterling Seagrave. Efforts by his friends, that is to say the young marshal, efforts by his friends, including T.V. Sung, to gain the young marshal's release failed. The generalissimo kept his kidnapper under modified house arrest and close surveillance, close surveillance for the remainder of his life in the charge of his secret police, who followed the usual procedure of acquainting the captive with heroin. Chang Shi Ling, we are told, spent those decades studying the history of the Ming Dynasty. That was the dynasty that preceded the Qing Dynasty, that's Q-I-N-G, or Manchu Dynasty, the hated dynasty that was ultimately overthrown in the Chinese Revolution of 1911, led by Dr. Sun Yat-sen. Again, when we hear about the Chinese Revolution, uh, that does not allude to the Chinese Communists, but uh, to the 1911 Revolution, which led to a bifurcated Kuomintang, one uh, branch of which was leftist and Moscow-oriented, another branch of which was uh, ultimately narco-fascist and uh, grounded with the Green Gang. That was Chiang Kai-shek's faction. Excuse me. Continuing. The young marshal's co-conspirator, General Yang, despite the Good Friday amnesty, was imprisoned when he came back from European exile and languished for 11 years in one of Tai Li's special detention camps near Chongqing. His wife went on a hunger strike in protest and was allowed to starve herself to death. And what the, one of Chiang Kai-shek's last acts, arguably his last act, before leaving the mainland of China for the island of Formosa that he turned into the uh, island nation of Taiwan, after looting the Bank of China of all of its liquid assets, we'll talk about that in the future, uh, Chiang Kai-shek had one last act, turning again to the Song Dynasty by Sterling Seagrave. Remoter parts of western China were still in Kuomintang hands. More about that, too, later as we talk about the uh, Uyghurs and their alliance with uh, Isa Optekin and his alliance with Chiang Kai-shek. Remoter parts of western China were still in Kuomintang hands. In August of 1949, Chiang and CCK, that was his son, flew from Taiwan to Chengdu to pay their respects at the grave of Tai Chi Tao. Pai, the born-again anti-communist who had helped to stage manage Chang's rise to power, had realized in February of 1949 that the end was near. He took a fatal overdose of sleeping pills on the night of February 11th. As long as he was in Chongqing anyway, 
The Generalissimo stopped by police headquarters to finish off one remaining bit of, quote, personal, unquote, business. In the Chongqing prison compound, there was still a prisoner who was very special. It was Yang Hucheng, the warlord who joined the young marshal to kidnap Chang in the Xi'an incident. Though allowed to go into European exile, Chang, uh, Yang had so antagonized, one more time, though allowed to go into European exile, Yang had so antagonized the Generalissimo that in 1938, when he returned to China following an amnesty, Chang ordered his immediate arrest. For 11 years, Yang, a son and a daughter, along with the royal secretary and his wife, languished in Pai Li's concentration camp outside Chongqing. Now, before leaving China for good, Chang made this special trip just to sign Yang's death warrant. The old man, his son, his daughter, his secretary, and the secretary's wife were all taken out and shot. And that, again, not only after Chang's uh, Good Friday, quote, amnesty, unquote, but after uh, the funeral, uh, uh, Chang's wife had been allowed to starve herself to death in a hunger strike. Uh, what we're going to talk about next is one of the signature incidents in the, not only the, the uh, Second World War and uh, the overlapping Sino-Japanese War, but uh, something that is emblematic of Chiang Kai-shek's reneging on the United Front that had been formed as a result of his kidnapping by the young marshal and General Yang. By the way, uh, Ching Ling Sung, a.k.a. Madam Sun Yat-sen, had for a time uh, forged a third force in China so that there was actually a, a third option between the fascism of Chiang Kai-shek and the Chinese Communist Party. However, the Kuomintang crushed that, so that was the end of that. Um... Now, we're going to turn to what is called the New Fourth Army Incident, and that is discussed in the Song Dynasty by Sterling Seagrave as follows. Chang's defense of China was being portrayed by TV Song as a valiant defense against Japanese hordes carried out assiduously by Kuomintang generals. If so, it was proceeding in a curious fashion. Chang was engaging in as little actual fighting as possible. On only one occasion, a Kuomintang army under General Li Chung-jen proved that Chinese soldiers could whip the Japanese when they had the will to do so in the Battle of Tyre Chuang in April of 1938. The Japanese in this instance were badly beaten and the people of China were elated. But Chang ordered his army not to pursue, and within weeks of Tyre Chuang, the Japanese had recovered the initiative. Chang was husbanding his resources for a renewal of his war with the communists. Once holed up in Chongqing, he let the people fend for themselves. The suffering caused by Japanese brutality, observed French historian Jean Chesneau, again quoting, and the disasters resulting from the incompetence of the Kuomintang were staggering, unquote. 
One of Chang's few attempts to slow the advance of the Japanese led him to dynamite the dikes on the Yellow River. Without warning of any kind, three provinces, 11 cities, and 4,000 villages were flooded, 2 million people were made homeless, and all their crops were destroyed. The Japanese were only bogged down for three months. Although the demolition of the dikes was witnessed by correspondent Jack Belden, B-E-L-B-E-N, Chang's government tried to put the blame on the Japanese, and the Taiwan Kuomintang government continues to do so today. Today, by the way, was 1985 when the book was written, or published, I should say. Militarily, Chang demonstrated what Chesneau called, quote, overwhelming incompetence, impulsiveness, and authoritarianism, unquote but he was careful to look after his own and to intervene every time the Chinese communist forces seemed to be nudging into, quote, his, unquote, territory. What resulted was one of the worst atrocities of the war, one in which the Japanese were not even involved. Now, before we continue, uh, something to note here was the collaboration between the Green Gang, uh, again, headed by Chu Yuisheng, who had fled first to Chongqing and then eventually to Hong Kong, uh, and the Japanese. They were collaborating, as we've seen in the past, not only were the, was the Kuomintang buying dope from the Japanese, but uh, as we will see, when the Japanese occupied Shanghai and the lower Yangtze River, uh, the Green Gang, which was at that point in the Shanghai area under the command of Shanghai, of uh, Tu Yuisheng's harbor boss, collaborated with the Japanese. There was an understanding that uh, if the uh, Japanese did nothing to interfere with the Green Gang's narcotics trafficking and their other rackets. Then uh, Ku Tzu Xuan, he was the harbor boss of, uh, Chang- of, of Shanghai and arguably the most important of uh, Tu Yuisheng's uh, Green Gang lieutenants, uh, then basically he would see to it, the Green, the, the Green Gang would see to it that the Japanese were free from partisan raids, from uh, uh, any sort of uh, guerrilla activity against them. And note that Ku Tzu Chuan was the, uh, was the Green Gang harbor boss of Shanghai, and his brother was General Ku Chu Tung, who was one of Chiang Kai-shek's most important generals. And uh, again, as the collaboration between the Green Gang and the Japanese forces occupying Shanghai moved forward. A communist Chinese army named the New Fourth Army, which also had Kuomintang officers. This was part of the military united front that had been formed after the uh, Xi'an incident. They were going to attack a railway uh, in the Shanghai area, and to do this, uh, they were seen as moving into uh, Kuomintang slash Green Gang territory. Again, there was collaboration in this area between the Green Gang and the Japanese invaders and occupiers. So as the uh, Communist Chinese New Fourth Army, again, with 
Kuomintang officers was ready to move into that area to seize an enemy-held railway. Uh, then uh, first they were ordered into an area where the Japanese had overwhelming strength. Uh, the new Fourth Army knew that that was not a good idea, so they took a different route. They left behind uh, a contingent of 5,000 troops with uh, nurses and a command faction, and General uh, Ku Chutung attacked them, wiped them out, except for some of the women. They were used as prostitutes in the Kuomintang army uh, brothels. Many of them committed suicide. And then Ku, uh, Ku, General Ku Chutung was rewarded by becoming commander-in-chief of the Kuomintang armies. So that is what happened in uh, a nutshell. And uh, Sterling Seagrave writes about this as follows. By 1940 and 41, Chang's sphere of influence had shrunk, while the communist area had expanded at the expense of the Japanese. In the red area, soldiers, guerrillas, and peasants were fighting furiously and with results. But each time the reds enlarged their perimeter, Chang had his army attack the communists instead of the Japanese to keep his rivals from making territorial gains. It was a war within a war. Chang had had half a million soldiers occupied blockading the Red Area in the northwest. Part of the United Front agreement that was formed at Xi'an involved putting Mao's Red Army under joint Kuomintang command. The existing Red Army was renamed the Eighth Army, and a fresh communist force was christened the New Fourth Army. In 1941, the new Fourth Army was assigned to operate under joint Kuomintang Chinese Communist Party command along the south bank of the Yangtze River within the orbit of the Green Gang. The gang's operations had not seriously diminished because of the war. The gang operated under the Japanese occupation much as it had before, although Big Ear too, bearing the rank of general in the Kuomintang, wisely moved to Chongqing. In his absence, the Shanghai, Hang- the Shanghai Gang headquarters was left in the hands of Tu's harbor boss, Ku Tzu Xuan. As a compliment, General Lisimo Chang gave all military responsibilities for the lower Yangtze River region to Ku's brother, General Ku Chu Tung. The new Fourth Army was probing into the Ku brothers' domain in December of 1940 in order to raid the main enemy-held railway leading to Nanking and Shanghai and the road linking Nanking and Hankou. This was an area in which there was cooperation between the Green Gang and the Japanese. In return for permitting its opium smuggling and underworld operations to go on uninterrupted, the Green Gang guaranteed the security of Japanese garrisons and enterprises in the Yangtze area. One more time. This was an area in which there was cooperation between the Green Gang and the Japanese. In return for permitting us opium smuggling and underworld operations to go on uninterrupted, the Green Gang guaranteed the security of Japanese garrisons and enterprises in the Yangtze Valley. 
General Koo, in consultation with Chiang Kai-shek, decided that the new Fourth Army was a threat to this fiefdom. He ordered it to move immediately across the Yangtze to a specified location on the North Bank. The new Fourth Commanders protested that this would lead them straight into a heavy concentration of Japanese, which was exactly the point. On its own initiative, the bulk of the new Fourth Army took a safer route, leaving behind its high command, staff, nurses, women political cadres, and support personnel with only a small force of 5,000 soldiers to protect them. This mixed group that had been left behind was attempting to follow the main force when, suddenly, early in January of 1941, Primo Ku fell upon it with a much greater force and massacred all but the headquarters contingent and its women cadres and nurses. All 5,000 combat soldiers left behind as a guard were slain. According to survivors, the men of the headquarters staff were then butchered. The Kuomintang general who had been commanding the new 4th Army was arrested, while the CCP political commissar of the unit, who had escaped the 1927 Shanghai massacre, was brutally murdered. Meanwhile, the communist nurses and women political cadres, many of them schoolgirls, were being raped repeatedly by hundreds of soldiers. They were kept in army brothels near the attack site for a year and a half. The women contracted venereal diseases, and some committed suicide, singly and with each other's help. Eventually, they were forced to carry the baggage of the soldiers overland to a new concentration camp. The new Fourth Army incident became what Theodore White called the King Charles Head of the Chinese Civil War. General Ku Chu Tung, the author of the atrocity, was eventually promoted to commander-in-chief of all Kuomintang armies. And he again met General Ku, in addition to launching the New Fourth Army Massacre, and uh, in addition to being the brother of of, uh, Chu's Bigger Chu, a.k.a. Chu Yuasheng's harbor boss, was the... uh, an active collaborator with Kadama Yoshio, who was one of the, uh, he was uh, Japan's top gangster, a protege of Toyama Mitsuru, the head of the aforementioned Black Dragon Society, and uh, he also collaborated, uh, that is to say, uh, General Ku, collaborated with Kadama Yoshio. From Gold Warriors, uh, America's secret recovery of Yamashita's gold, again by uh, Peggy Sterling Seagrave and his wife Peggy Seagrave. We talk about the collaboration between General Ku Tzu Xuan, or General, uh, between Ku Tzu Xuan. He was, uh, Bigger Tzu's harbor boss, the boss at Shanghai, who was collaborating with the Japanese, and his brother, General Ku Tzu Xuan. They, uh, they opened, uh, excuse me, General Ku Chu Tung, forgive me, my, my Chinese pronunciation and nomenclature is not good. But what is worth noting here is the collaboration between, on one hand, the Green Gang gangsters and the collaboration between the Kuomintang general staff. As we have seen in our discussion of the Wampol Military Academy, uh, the narco-fascist regime of Chiang Kai-shek was just that. It was a remarkable institution, and the officer corps 
of the Kuomintang Army were at the same time. They were officers of the Kuomintang Army, and they were also kingpins of the Green Gang Criminal Syndicate. In Go Warriors, again, we read, speaking of Hadami Yoshio, he closed a deal with waterfront boss Kutsu Xuan to swap heroin for gold throughout the Yangtze Valley. Thanks to Ku's brother, Kuomintang Senior General Ku Chutong, Japan also gained access to U.S. lend-lease supplies reaching western China by way of the Burma Road or on aircraft flying over the hump from India. Once in warehouses in Kunming or Chongqing, the lend-lease was then resold to the Japanese Army with Kodama as purchasing agent. Again, that is... To me, having grown up watching Victory at Sea and uh, having been born in 1949, that, that is just amazing. Recall, as we have seen in previous programs and as we will come back to, the Lend-Lease to China was being managed by T.L. Sung, T.V. Sung's brother, who also became a secret agent for the U.S. Treasury Department in the post more period, and we'll talk more about that uh, in weeks to come. Now, yet another, well, exemplary incident uh, of the well, the Second World War and the overlapping Sino-Japanese War, and someone who really embodies and epitomizes uh, the fascism on one hand, the military incompetence on the other hand, and also the narrow, deep, all-encompassing corruption, and that was General Pang N. Po. He was one of the Kuomintang generals who helped to blow up the Yellow River dikes, thereby devastating the Chinese population. And he, again, was completely corrupt, and he would sell, he was another of those generals who would sell American lend-lease goods to the Japanese. And again, just absolutely amazes me. Again, having grown up watching Victory at Sea and, and things, it just blows my mind, absolutely. Uh, well, it, 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 I guess it's good that at the age of 72, I'm still capable of a, a degree of outrage at this. Just, I have, I have to be careful, because if I were to give you my candid opinion on this, I'd have to reach into the foulest backwaters of my vocabulary, and that uh, just won't do. This is radio, and as a native of New York City, the uh, foulest backwaters of my vocabulary are foul indeed. New York City has its own dictionary. It begins with M and it ends with F. Anyway, about General Pang Enpo, and he epitomizes the Kuomintang military. Turning once again to the Sung Dynasty by Sterling Seagrave. A case in point was General Pang Enpo, who was somehow able to participate in the war's most appalling scandals and whose story embodies the Chang regime's worst qualities. Paper Tiger Pang, as he was known, became, began life as a rural tough in the Generalissimo's own Chekiang province, his education limited to martial arts. In Shanghai, he won favor with the Green Gang as an aggressive bodyguard and talked a local warlord into paying his way to military school in Japan. When World War II began, he was one of Chang's favorite field commanders, a member of the Wampo clique. 
His first achievement was to be among the senior officers who blew up the Yellow River dikes. Again, we've talked about that in our last uh, section. He was then put in charge of the army that controlled Honan province. There, Tang was instrumental in bullying the peasants to cough up their last handfuls of grain as a, quote, special tax, unquote, bringing on the great Honan famine of 1942 to 1943, which so deeply moved writer Theodore White. Quote, He was a relatively pleasant man, White recalled, gracious, good-humored, energetic. The peasants and civilians accepted him as the true author of their ills, and they mouthed deep and bitter curses. Honan has two sorrows, they quipped, the Yellow River, and Tang and Po, unquote. While the peasants starved, General Tang found countless ways to make his own life more pleasant. His territory was just up the Yangtze River from the Ku Brothers, wartime stronghold around Shanghai, bestowed upon them by Big Year Two for safekeeping while he spent the war years in Chongqing. This enabled Tang to purchase bootleg Japanese consumer goods from the Green Gang Down River and pipeline it in U.S. lend-lease army trucks to inland cities, including Chongqing, where it was sold on the black market. What he could not get from the Ku brothers, he obtained directly from the Japanese in straight trade for American lend-lease goods. He also traded Swiss watches, French perfumes, and British woolens, forced peasants to grow tobacco, which he sold to inland cigarette manufacturers, and opium, which he sold to the Green Gang. Since even this was never enough, Pang and Po withheld pay from his troops, keeping them on short rations, sold all the U.S. equipment provided for them, and filled one-third of his ranks only on paper, which allowed him to collect the wages of the non-existent men supposedly under his command. The reference here, we'll uh, hear more about this later, but it's called Operation Ichigo. This was a Japanese offensive, the first Japanese offensive in the China theater uh, for many years. It began in 1944, and it was uh, part of its strategic aim and was successful was destroying some air bases which General Claire Chenault of the Flying Tigers had uh, uh, said would enable him and his air contingent to sink a million tons of Japanese shipping. Uh, General Joseph Stilwell, who was the top U.S. military advisor on, in the China theater, said, nope, the Japanese will just destroy those bases, which is exactly what they did when they launched Operation Ichigo, again, capital I-C-H-I-G-O. And uh, it was General Tang who was uh, in the area where the Japanese attacked, and his forces absolutely evaporated. Returning now to, once again, the Sun Dynasty by Sterling Seagrave. When Operation Ichigo began in 1944, General Tang absented himself from the front. His troops panicked, broke, and ran. Staff officers abandoned their men, commandeered 600 of their 800 trucks, loaded aboard their wives and families, household possessions, and all the loot they could manage and fled. In order to eat, the abandoned foot soldiers pillaged the peasants and confiscated the oxen that farmers depended upon to plant grain. In outrage, the peasants 
armed themselves with wooden pitchforks and disarmed 50,000 of General Tang Anpo's Chinese soldiers. As a reward, Tang was given command of 14 U.S.-equipped divisions as chief of the Third Front Army. And with the war's end, he was given the bonus assignment of taking the surrender of the Japanese throughout the lower Yangtze-Shanghai region and disarming them. As soon as he was finished, he was instructed to repatriate all Japanese troops and civilians to the port of Shanghai. He gathered a group of 20 high-ranking Japanese commanders and gave them a touching farewell address. Quote, China and Japan occupy the opposite shores of the same sea and mutually support each other. Their people are of the same race, the languages are the same, joined they can both survive, asunder they must perish. Eight years of bloody warfare have brought grievous wounds to both. Recalling past sufferings, we brothers should hold our heads and weep bitterly. Today we cast aside our arms and send you gentlemen home. Some other time we shall welcome you return, we shall welcome your return holding jade and bouquets in our arms. As we'll see, uh, many Japanese, uh, many divisions remained under arms as late as 1947 uh, in northwest Manchuria alone, and they were collaborating with the nationalist Chinese uh, in the Chinese Civil War. Continuing, uh, the peasants of Honan would have been warned by these fine sentiments. The Generalissimo, Chiang Kai-shek, pleased with Tang's performance throughout, rewarded him yet again after the war by making him commander-in-chief of the Ku Brothers' Nanking Shanghai Garrison and deputy commander-in-chief of the entire Chinese army, second only to that other venerable military leader, General Ku Chu Tong, hero of the new Fourth Army incident. Tang and Po, judged one historian mildly, was one of the most disreputable Kuomintang military men. And again, like the other uh, officer corps of the Kuomintang army, he was from the Wampo Military Academy, and he was a member of the Green Gang. And again, he was a gangster as well as a military uh, leader, and uh, he was selling American Lend-Lease goods to the Japanese. And we will, we'll probably begin it in this program. We won't have time to finish it. But we're going to be talking about the same dynamic. Again, the, uh, Kuomintang's unwillingness to fight the Japanese and their obsession with fighting the, uh, Chinese communists in, in spite of the United Front that was formed after the Sion incident. And it was General Joseph Stillwell who insisted on trying to get Chiang Kai-shek to fight the Japanese instead of the Chinese communists. He was supported by the what was then the War Department, now called the Pentagon, the Defense Department. But the War Department supported General Stilwell. However, the, the State Department did not. And ultimately, it was the same unwillingness of Chiang Kai-shek to, to fight the Japanese and his doctrinaire anti-communism, which won him points with the State Department and with what was to become the China lobby, and General Stilwell was sacked. We'll get into that. We'll probably begin that in this program, but we won't have time to go into that. But again, it was, ironically, it was the doctrinaire 
anti-communism of the the narco-fascist regime of Chiang Kai-shek that ultimately lost China, unquote. Again, the battle cry of the China lobby and the McCarthyites in the post-war period. Now, although Chiang Kai-shek and his narco-fascist government, the treasonous, from a U.S. standpoint, Green Gang, although they won the admiration of the State Department, a lot of the combatants who were actually on the ground in the China fever, uh, again, they hated Chiang Kai-shek and those associated with them. One of those was a uh, Marine Corps aviator who was known as Patty Boyington. He was a member of General Claire Chenault's American Volunteer Group. Uh, he ultimately, he hated Chiang Kai-shek and quit because he wasn't willing to die in battle for a tyrant and a fascist. However, he, again, he hated Chiang Kai-shek and Madame Chiang Kai-shek, and there was a really uh, humorous incident about this. By the way, eventually, again, uh, Pappy Boyington became a celebrated Marine Corps flyer. There was a primetime television series called Ba Ba Black Sheep about the Black Sheep Squadron led by Pappy Boyington. Uh, Pappy Boyington was played by Robert Conrad in that series. Of uh, Pappy Boyington's hatred of Generalissimo and Madame Chiang Kai-shek. This amazing behavior at one point uh, we read as follows again in the Sung Dynasty by Sterling Seagrave. It was front-page news in America whenever the Generalissimo paid a call on the Flying Tigers. On a typical visit in Kunming early in 1942, Madame Chiang Kai-shek and the Generalissimo praised the American volunteer group at a banquet. That was uh, the uh, Flying Tigers. The following morning, as General Cheneau escorted General Lissimo and Madame Chiang Kai-shek up the steps to a DC-2 that would carry them back to Chongqing, seven well-oiled, i.e. drunk, Flying Tigers, led by Boynton, roared out of the sky and flew upside down over the DC-2, missing it by a hair and sending Chang and Mei Ling sprawling on their bellies in the dust. It was this unorthodoxy that gave the Tigers their winning unpredictability in the air, but it was also what brought their mission to an abrupt end. That part of the story was successfully hidden from the public. Less than a year after their recruitment, some of the pilots had become suspicious of the great discrepancy between myth and reality in their mission. Boynton was shocked by the disinterest, arrogance, and fraud blatantly visible in the nationalist leadership. He made it known far and wide that he had no intention of buying in the P-40, glamour or no glamour, as a pawn of American propagandists and a corrupt tyrant. And uh, later on, when uh, Madame Chiang Kai-shek, again, Mei Mei-Ling Sung, she was uh, a sister of T.V. Sung and T.L. Sung in charge of Lend-Lease, when she was going to fly back to China over the hump, and again, the flying of the hump, or flying over the hump, i.e. the Himalaya Mountains, was a very perilous route. A lot of what was then the American Army Air Corps flyers lost their lives. It was a a, a grim assignment. And also, uh, traveling the Burma Road was a grim assignment. And a lot of the American Lend-Lease came in over the Burma Road or over the hump. And uh, it was 
some of the American flyers who discovered uh, what uh, Madame Chiang Kai-shek, again, nay, Mei Ling Sung, was going to have them fly, and they were less than thrilled. Uh, Sterling Seagrave writes about this as follows. Graham Peck, who was working in China for the Office of War Information, noticed that, although Americans at home were fooled about China, American GIs were not. When Mei Ling's luggage was taken off at an airfield in Assam to lighten her airliner for the dangerous flight over the hump, the luggage was put aboard a U.S. Army transport plane. This was done, Peck said, in a rather remote part of the field, and the GIs who were doing it happened to drop one crate. It split open and its contents rolled out. It was full of cosmetics, lingerie, and fancy groceries with which Madame Chang planned to see herself through the rest of the war. The GIs were furious, for this was one of the times when the hunt transport was in a bad state, with many American flyers losing their lives to get war supplies to China. The soldiers dropped and broke all the other crates they transshipped. When they had kicked every fur coat and trick clock around in the dust as thoroughly as time would permit, they threw the mess into the waiting planes. Again, uh, it was many of the uh, flyers who were serving uh, with one aspect or another of the American military in China, who many of them anyway discovered what real swine, frankly, uh, Chiang Kai-shek and Madame Chiang Kai-shek and the whole uh, Kuomintang narco-fascist uh, concatenation really were, and they reacted. Again, I love the uh, the image of Pappy Boyington. Again, and uh, seven other well-oiled tigers, i.e., they've been drinking, and they they flew upside down, buzzed Madame Chiang Kai-shek and Chiang Kai-shek's DC-2, forced them right into the ground. And uh, again, it's a great image. And again, Pappy Boyington uh, became a celebrated Marine Corps flyer that was actually, again, a primetime television series about his black sheep squadron called Ba Ba Black Sheep with the late actor Robert Conrad playing Pappy Boyington. Uh, the unwillingness of the uh, Chinese uh, Kuomintang to fight the Japanese ultimately led to the sacking of General Joseph Stilwell. Joseph Stilwell, known as Vinegar Joe, was a fierce critic of Chiang Kai-shek and Madame Chiang Kai-shek. He saw Chiang Kai-shek for exactly what he was, and uh, he said of Chiang Kai-shek, quote, He's a vacillating, tricky, undependable old scoundrel who never keeps his word, unquote. Well, yes, indeed, but that was not the way the State Department saw him. And uh, ultimately, the what was known as the War Department, again, that now is called the Department of Defense, uh, and Chief of Staff General George Marshall supported General Joseph Stilwell, and they favored the move that was made at one point to place all of the armies in China under General Stilwell's command. Uh, Chiang Kai-shek went off the deep end when that happened, and ultimately the State Department and the China lobby, including 
uh, people such as Joseph Alsop, who became a key CIA-linked journalist after World War II. There was a famous article by Carl Bernstein from the 19, a, a 1977 issue of Rolling Stone magazine, where he talked extensively about Joseph Alsop and his post-war journalistic career working with the CIA. And uh, the corruption and disintegration, which ultimately drove the middle class in China away from Chiang Kai-shek, they began criticizing him. But anyone who criticized Chiang Kai-shek wound up in one of Taiwanese concentration camps. If they were lucky, if not, they were murdered. Turning once again to the Song Dynasty by Sterling Seagrave, the only Kuomintang armies that did fight were those under General Stilwell's control in Burma, particularly those under General Sun Di Jen. They fought only occasionally, but when they could be coerced into fighting, as in the Mitkina campaign, they did well. Everything Vinegar Joe accomplished, he did over the strenuous objections of Chiang Kai-shek, who was joined by General Cheneau and a campaign to vilify and get rid of Stilwell. Within the Chinese territory nominally under Chang's control, conditions were deteriorating at an alarming rate. Currency was worthless, although H.H. H. Kung, again at that point the finance minister, married to Ailing, the, the, the former Ailing Sung, another member of the Sung family, and a real sinister uh, Lucretia Borgia type figure. More about her later on in this series. Within the Chinese territory nominally under Chang's control, conditions were deteriorating at an alarming rate. Currency was worthless, although H.H. Kung kept up his paper money pantomime. Manufactured goods were unattainable except the corrupt bureaucrats and military officers who, with few exceptions, hoarded and profiteered. Foolishly, Chang backed Kung's latest attempt to fight inflation by fixing prices. Immediately, producers withheld all meat and cooking oil from the marketplace, awaiting better prices. In Chongqing, even the middle class grew gaunt and saw their children die. Many educated Chinese who had once supported the Kuomintang now realized that it was preoccupied only with maintaining its grip and turned against it. Some were permanently alienated. Others restrained themselves so to mildly condemning the policies of the regime, only to become targets of secret police repression. Absurdly, the regime did not fight the war, but dragged into Tyler's headquarters any loyal subjects who dared to criticize. They were beaten, beheaded, starved, or turned into heroin addicts at Kuomintang concentration camps run by Tai Li. The loyalty of Chang's officer corps was a thin crust on top of a huge standing army that had been dragooned into service. There was no anatomy of loyalty running down into the ranks. This was not new in China, but in the past, when dynasties fell, the Mandarin bureaucracy usually carried over to the new dynasty, providing a vital continuity of administration. When classical Chinese regimes changed, they changed only at the top. This Mandarinette no longer existed, and it had been one of the targets of the 1911 revolution. Nothing else had grown in its place. 
the, quote, right, unquote, to govern now depended entirely upon the believability of the Kuomintang. This was the essence of the mandate of heaven. As Chang's believability evaporated, those who drew attention to the fact as to the emperor's lack of clothes were in terrible danger. Chang was becoming more tyrannical. He shifted more and more control away from members of the Sung family who had always been an indulgence to the C.C. clique of the Chen brothers who had always been a necessity. He could not survive without the Chens because they directly represented the people who had put him in power. The hierarchy of the Green Gang and survival was now at issue. Big Year 2, Chu Yuasheng was aging and no longer in the position to guarantee Chang's position entirely on his own. In the end, Chang's ties to the Blood Brotherhood of the Green Gang as a whole were proving stronger than his ties to his dynastic family, i.e. the Sungs. The influence of the Sungs was not immediately eclipsed. They stayed where they were and kept their titles while the Chen clique leapfrogged over them. Liberalism, such as it was, represented by the Sungs, ceased to be the national facade, but that's liberalism in the sense of neoliberalism, not liberalism as in the sense of liberal and conservative as it is understood in the contemporary American political lexicon. Continuing. Liberalism, such as it was, represented by the Sungs, ceased to be the national facade. As Chang leaned more on the Chens and Tai Li, he drifted like Hitler into megalomania. He showed increasing arrogance toward Washington. This did not cost him its support. American officials were not interested in whether Chang violated human rights and ruled by charade. Washington, not as represented by Chief of Staff General George C. Marshall, but as typified by FDR's political advisor Harry Hopkins, increasingly shared Chang's fixation with the post-war threat of communism. To please the Generalissimo and his supporters in Washington, beginning again, to please the Generalissimo and his supporters in America, the Washington of Hopkins and the Department of State was prepared to sacrifice any number of its own people. America failed to understand the trap it was falling into because the State Department was not listening to its China watchers. Very few of the secret reports actually reached the Secretary of State because the rest were being intercepted by partisans inside the department hierarchy. Although the Secretary of State was not reading them, the Chinese were. According to information gathered by the FBI at the time, someone high in the department was passing this secret information straight over to China defense supplies to be read by T.B. Sung and to be acted upon as he saw fit. So the Americans sent to China to watch Chang's regime were reporting to the Sung family, not to President Roosevelt. At the War Department, the situation was quite different. We'll uh, continue with this uh, and, and overlap that, this discussion uh, in our next program. However, this wraps up for the record program number 1201, The Narco-Fascism of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang, Part 8. This is being recorded on August 27th of the year 2021. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.